Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's so good to see you this morning. Um, turning to Ephesians chapter 2, where we are as we continue in our series on the book of Ephesians. Um, I'm going to pray. Uh, this is one of the, the most influential passages of Scripture that God has used in my life over the years. So it's a joy to open God's Word together uh, this morning and talk this through with you. So let me pray as we get started uh, and as you turn to Ephesians 2. Uh, Father God in heaven, thank you for this morning. Uh, God, as you've gathered us here uh, as your people with each other to sing praises back to you through song, to proclaim your truths over one another. I got to encourage one another in fellowship to um, pause and posture our hearts and minds uh, toward you. God, I pray that now, uh, as your Holy Spirit uh, moves in so many ways, God, that now your Holy Spirit would move through uh, the reading and proclamation of your gospel through your word. Uh, God, that you would uh, change our hearts, our minds. Uh, God, remind us of who we are in Christ. God, may bring repentance of sin and repentance from idolatry and uh, God, may you sharpen us to be your people for your glory and our joy, and that the good news of Jesus Christ may ripple out through this place to the nations. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is God's word. Friends, in Christ Jesus, you are God's workmanship. By grace, through faith in Jesus, God is doing a work in you and through you for his glory, for your joy. And this is good news for us. In these few short verses that the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, we see some amazing truths that um, pattern our lives as Christians. Workmanship is, a, is a, an identity in Christ that the author writes that we have, that God designates for us. He says in verse 10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. This identity is, uh, changes everything for us. To think about that you are God's workmanship. He has created you in Christ Jesus for good works. This is not some uh, ethereal, philosophical idea that happened 2,000 years ago. This is a, a gospel truth that rings true for you and I today. In Christ Jesus, you are God's workmanship. And this is evidenced by grace, by faith, by good works, things that God has ordained from the beginning of time for us to walk in. Now, I was studying this week, and I love uh, the New Testament was written in, in Greek originally, and I was studying this week uh, to find out that the word workmanship in Greek is the word poema, from where we get the word poem. And so reading this, it... Uh, as a musician and songwriter, this really resonates with me to think that, wow, Scripture tells us that in Christ we are, we are God's poetry. That in Christ you are a poem written by God himself. Do you like poetry? She does. <laughs> Maybe you like Shakespearean sonnets? Hmm? 
Maybe you like Shel Silverstein, right? It's one of my favorites, like Ickle Me, Pickle Me, Tickle Me Too, went for a ride in a flying shoe. That's deep, right? <laughs> Dr. Seuss, one of my favorite quotes I'll constantly tell my children is don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened, right? I love Dr. Seuss. Think about your favorite song, the lyrics to your favorite song that just that resonate with, with you. The music's good, but the, but the words. I mean, I was... I will confess to you, I was playing Stairway to Heaven on my guitar last night for my twin babies, all right? A little confession. You see, poetry, poetry is, is a unique literary uh, thing uh, because you're taking powerful content and words and packaging it in a beautiful structure of rhythm and rhyme. In Christ, we are God's poetry. We are his workmanship. And I was thinking, apart from Christ, we are like confusing Ikea instructions that are just like, you know what, just jumbled, this doesn't make any sense. But in Christ, uh, you are a beautiful poem that the Lord has put together his rich, deep lyrics structured in rhythm and rhyme for his glory and your joy. And so looking at this passage, we see that the Apostle Paul unpacks what it means to be God's workmanship, and he uses powerful words of grace and faith and works. So as we look at this this morning, I want to look at those three things, grace, faith, and works, because these are three aspects of God's workmanship in you and through you that we often jumble that we often get carts before horses and like Ikea instructions, there's a thousand Allen wrenches everywhere and a pile of particle board that still does not look like what it should, right? So let's start with this grace. A beautiful word, the title of a great album. And Paul writes this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, grace at its core is undeserved, unmerited favor from God. This is a characteristic that God has throughout Scripture. When you read throughout the Old Testament time and time again, God is giving, his undeserved, or giving undeserved, unmerited favor on people. People who don't deserve it, they've not earned it. We see this right at the beginning of creation. God creates everything out of nothing in the book of Genesis. Chapters 1 and 2, and by chapter 3, the first man and first woman have already rebelled against God. And God, uh, there's consequences for their sin, but even after that, God is giving his goodness to them. Taking care of them, be, being sure that they have food to eat and clothes on their back, and, and that they could be good uh, for the rest of their lives. And we see in the book of Exodus, uh, God frees his people out of bondage in Egypt, and as he's leading them to a promised land where they will flourish and, and find much joy, they are rebelling, worshiping other gods, other idols, complaining. And time and time again, God has given his grace to them. Unmerited, undeserved favor on his people. Throughout the Old Testament, again, during times of exiles, we see the prophets are writing, saying, uh, encouraging God's people to turn back, to, to repent, to turn from their sin, from their idols, to turn back to the God who has saved them. And despite the rebellion and idolatry and sin, God still shows his goodness to them. Likewise, you and I today rebel in various ways, and God is still good. His character does not change. He shows his grace to us. He gives us undeserved, unmerited favor in Christ. 
Now this is a powerful statement, for by grace you have been saved. I love this statement that, that salvation, sometimes we just, yeah, I got saved when I was young. You know, maybe you're just like, I grew up in a church, got saved, walking aisle. We forget the impact of what Paul is saying. Salvation is being rescued by God from Satan, who is real, from sin, from death, from the wrath of God for the punishment of sin. We are being rescued by God out of His goodness toward us. It's the pattern of Scripture, as I've said. You see time and time again, God is rescuing His wayward people. They're saying, hey, we want to we choose death and rebellion and idolatry. And God says, no, I'm going to rescue you because I love you. You don't deserve this. You've not merited this in any way, but I'm a good God and I will rescue you. So at its core, to be God's workmanship, to be His poetry, God is, is rescuing us out of His goodness, out of His grace toward us, saving us from Satan, saving us from sin, saving us from death, saving us from the wrath of God. Paul says that it is a gift of God. It's not your own work. That's the, what grace is. <laughs> it's not... You, that you've done anything to deserve to be saved. It's not that you've done anything to be rescued. You've not rescued yourself. You've not you know, built a ladder to climb out of the pit. God comes down and rescues us, does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. I mean, just think of the way we work, because, because I say this, you know, you know, Jeremy, I believe that we are saved by grace. Uh, do you? Because it's so easy for us to forget that it's God's goodness that rescues us. That, that he, out of his own goodness, stoops down into human history to rescue us, to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. In Christ, he, Jesus lives a perfect life that we can't live. He died a death as a substitute on the cross for our sins. It's a death we deserve, but we don't have to do it because Jesus does it for us. He comes back to life. That's something we can't do. He promises that same resurrection for us as well. But often we, we forget that, that the Christian life, to be God's workmanship, is an act of God's grace. That, that we say, okay, I belong to God, I belong to Christ, so let me do these things to get approval, to get acceptance, uh, so that God will love me more. And those things simply aren't true. And we'll get to works in a minute, because works are part of being God's workmanship. So stick with me. Often we think of ways that we work for our salvation. Maybe if we, I mean, is it, Maybe if we know enough stuff or if we live by a certain moral code or the religious tradition from whence we sprung. And Paul says here, reminds us that being the workmanship of God, being the poetry of the Lord is, uh, is founded in grace that we have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift. You didn't do it. It's a gift of God so that no one may boast. Now, I love that he writes that in there because we're often thinking, well, look, if you just give me the content, I mean, give me grace, give me faith, Paul has to kind of insert in there so that no one can boast. Because the human heart is prideful. 2,000 years ago, Jesus walks the earth and, and, and the truth of the gospel comes to life in human form and people still want to boast about their good works. I mean, people that walked with the Lord, I mean, this is what's great, is Paul is writing uh, to this early Christian church and, and, and who are thinking, look, we have great religious heritage, Paul. Of course we're saved. He's saying you can't brag in your religious heritage. 
People are saying, look, I, 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 I do great things. I mean, I'm very generous with my money. I live in a, in a neighborhood. I serve the poor. And Paul's saying, you can't boast in those things. Your salvation's by grace, not by your works, not by your education, not by your philosophy, not by your tradition, not by the family tree that you are connected to. You see, Paul has to write there so that no one would boast because the first century church is just like this church or any other church. Where there's humans, there is pride. <laughs> Wherever there's a human, uh, there's a prideful heart beating. And if I say that to you and you get offended, well, why are you offended? I offended you, I dishonored your pride? I mean, this is me. This is where I am. I think, well, look, I come from a good Christian family. You see, the nature of grace, if God truly saves us from his goodness, unmerited, undeserved favor is what we receive from God, then there's nothing he can't ask of us. There's nothing that we've done to earn it. We can just receive this gift of God, Paul says. You see, in our pride, we often are like children trying to compose our own verse. The cat sat on the mat with a bat. And meanwhile, Jesus is composing this beautiful, epic poem for us to be a part of. And we settle for less in our pride. You see, grace is like the lyrics of a beautiful poem. This causes us to respond in humility and in joy. Because as God's workmanship in Christ, as God's poetry, grace is the resounding lyric. But Paul says more about it here. He says, for by grace... You have been saved through faith. Now, a component to being God's workmanship in Christ is not only grace, but faith. And this is a, a human response and humility and joy. And often we think faith is just maybe uh, ascribing to a certain belief system. And we're going to say, well, my faith says this. Well, that's part of it. But, but at its core, faith is belief plus relational trust. You with me? Faith is, is, yes, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, but also the relational trust that because he's the Son of God, I, am, I have ongoing trust in the promises that he says and for the work that he's done. Right? Because often we compartmentalize and say, well, I, of course I believe salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. And we can ramble off the Reformed theology of sola Christo, sola. I mean, I, I get, I'm with you. But do you have the relational trust in Christ, the ongoing trusting that Jesus has saved you, that Jesus is saving you, that Jesus will save you from Satan, sin, death, the wrath of God? Because again, we often forget those things when we try to take matters into our own hands. And just as grace is the lyric of poetry, faith is the, the rhyme, kind of the ongoing tune that you hum Belief in who Christ is and what he's done. You see, our faith wavers. We have fickle faith. We often turn to sin or turn to idols, our own doing. And that shows a lack of faith. I mean, think about it. What, what is it for you? I mean, this is, this is where you can say, look, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you know, one pastor said the easiest thing to do is, you know, when you want to see where somebody's faith is, you can look at their calendar and their checkbook. 
right? Look, look at where you're placing the emphasis of your life. Maybe the, where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your resources? Where's your uh, relational investment? What's your Facebook status? <laughs> you see, often those are indicators of our wavering faith, thinking, I need this thing to be complete. I need this thing to find worth. I need this amount of money to find value. I need this relationship in order to feel accepted and improved. All the while, Scripture tells us that in Christ, you are God's workmanship. That should be enough, right? If your bank, bank account collapses, you lose your job, the relationship you're in, it doesn't work out the way you had hoped. The place you, you live, maybe your neighborhood's not what you thought it would. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, in Christ... You are God's workmanship. Not in this neighborhood or not with this money or this status or this job or that relationship. At the end of the day, in Christ, you are God's workmanship. So, we see grace. We have faith. Grace is undeserved, unmerited favor from God. The good news, the, the lyrics of the gospel. We have faith, which is belief plus ongoing relational trust in the person of Jesus. It's, it's the rhyme. But then we have works. And often, just as much as we jettison grace and faith and jump to works, so often we are too heavy on grace and faith that we jettison works. Did I just say that? We're so heavy toward works that we jettison grace and faith, or we're too heavy on grace and faith that we jettison works. We, we fail to see that the whole, the whole poetry of God's workmanship involves grace and involves faith and involves works. Because Scripture tells us here that it's by grace you have been saved through faith. So you have undeserved, unmerited favor from God that results in belief and ongoing relational trust. Grace and faith, that's what, that's what saves you. It's not a result of work, so, so don't boast about that. But then in verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, you are not saved by good works, but you are saved for good works. And it's important to see because often I think in the uh, overchurched uh, southern culture in which we find ourselves, we can, we can say, well, you get saved and then you sit on the bench and wait for the train to come pick you up and take you to glory, okay? We forget that part of the salvation that God has ordained by grace through faith is so that you would walk in good works here and now. Those good works don't save you, but those good works proclaim and display the good news of grace through faith. Are you with me? So if grace is the lyric of the poetry, faith is the rhyme of the poem, works are like the rhythm, the pace, the iambic pentameter of the Christian life. You see, Paul writes here in Scripture that, that these things have been God-ordained. God is the hero through and through of his work. I mean, it is God who rescues you. It is God who saves you by his grace through faith. You are his workmanship, not your own workmanship. You belong to Jesus you were created in Christ Jesus for good works, awesome, which God prepared beforehand so that you would walk in them. You see, God foreordains your salvation by grace through faith. He foreordains the works in which you walk. I mean, any way you slice it, if you were, God, Christ, if you were the workmanship of God in Christ, 
if he is the author of the poetry of your life, the lyrics, the rhyme, the rhythm, all point to him. You see, Scripture tells us that we were created in Christ Jesus. I mean, creation is a huge theme. If you look to the book of Genesis right at the beginning of Scripture, you see that, that God creates everything out of nothing. says it's good. Creates the first man, the first woman. says this is very good. Sin and rebellion enter the world. Uh, uh, gets a little sloppy, but, but God comes in and promises rescue. And all of the Old Testament is, is snapshots of his redemption and reconciling his broken world. Leading us up to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who comes and says, I once and for all will embody the grace of God to humanity. I once and for all will, will, will usher in faith, of belief and relational trust in me, and I will set the stage, the rhythm for the works that God has ordained. You see, works are essentially faith in action, fueled by grace. Works are not things you do to earn grace, but rather works are, is faith embodied in action, fueled by grace. I mean, Paul even says it's like rhythm, it's what you walk in. It's an ongoing, okay, I have ongoing relational trust, belief, faith, and that is played out by, by walking, right? Not sitting. He could have used any other posture. He could have said, hey, look, you know, God has prepared works for you so that you could sleep well at night. Or that by grace through faith you've been saved for these works that God has prepared so that you can sit down and rest a while. So that you can go have a beer and a sandwich. I mean, he could have said anything there, but he says no. So that you would walk in them. There is this ongoing thing that you do prompted by grace and faith. It's the rhythm of action we do as Christians. So when we put it all together here, you say, all right, Jeremy, I'm with you. We are, we are God's workmanship in Christ. We are God's poetry. Grace is the lyrics. Faith is the, the rhyme. Works of the rhythm. It all comes together in Christ as his beautiful poetry. Now what? I want us to assess a few things. First, do you believe in the grace of God? And do you believe that in Christ... You have done nothing to earn God's love, to earn his favor, to earn his acceptance. Do you believe that? There is undeserved, unmerited favor from God, the creator of the universe, that he pours upon you because he is good. You've not done anything to deserve it. I've not done anything to deserve it. It's because God is good and he loves you. That's grace. Faith is how we respond to that in belief. Do you believe it? And do you have ongoing relational trust? Because I'll be honest with you, sometimes I forget. Really? Yeah, I do. And it comes out of my actions. When I feel like I have to do something to, to show off how acceptable I am. Really? In Christ, I'm accepted? That should be enough. Belief is ongoing relational trust. And then works. And this is where I want to ask you, my friends. We need to assess what works God has placed before us to do. You were sitting in this room because God brought you here. Maybe he's prompted by grace and faith, but, but God has, has brought you here for a reason. God has brought you to the job that you are going to tomorrow or the school that you attend or the neighborhood in which you live. When you leave this place and you go back to your neighborhood, that's not just some happenstance thing that just fell into place. God, God placed you there. 
Do you know that? I mean, you live in that house because God gave you that house. You live on that street because God said, I want you to live on that street. Why? Because there are good works that I want you to do in that neighborhood. God foreordained different works for you than for me. I mean, the good works that he ordained for me is over here. Good works for you are over there. God said, Jeremy, I want you to be a husband, father, pastor, and live in Forest Creek. But for you, he said, hey, I want you to be a student here. I want you to be married here or dating this person, whatever. You see, we look at the context in which we live, and we see where, where before us God has placed uh, us to do good works, relationally, contextually, realms of influence. And so often here at Redemption Church, we, we say that our, our purpose statement is gospel community mission, and we ramble that off a lot, and I never want that to grow numb on our ears. Because the gospel is the good news that by grace, through faith in Christ, you have been saved. That's great news. That's why we exist. That's the good news we want to propel out to the world. It's the poem we sing. We say gospel, we say community. Community is the context in which you live out this faith, in, w- in which we celebrate the belief in the ongoing relational trust in the person and work of Jesus. It's why we gather together and sing these songs. Uh, part of it may be like because you have a personal need that you want to come here and experience, but part of it is that God has brought you with other people in community to celebrate this good news. I mean, it's, it's why we exist as a, as a church. We have worship gatherings. We have missional communities, DNA groups. We, we hang out sometimes, Super Bowl party, you know, whatever. Those are times for us to gather together and celebrate who Christ is and what he's done. I mean, even, let me tell you, there's something very celebratory about, like, eating a sandwich and having a drink with a friend. I mean, there really is. You see it throughout Scripture. There's feasting right and left. It's biblical. And mission is walking in the good works in which God has ordained. And as a church, we gather together and we want to embody the gospel together as a community on mission, as a church uh, that meets at Warren Road Elementary School. We want to gather a missional community so that you can love the neighborhoods in which you live, whether that be North Augusta, downtown, Harrisburg, West Augusta. We want to embody grace together as a community as we go to each other's uh, workplaces and hang out. I mean, I've said this before. One of the most encouraging things I've witnessed in the past several months is a missional community here that that, that meets in one neighborhood and serves in one neighborhood in, in one way, but also gathered together and partnered as a community on mission to go out to a suburban school to serve some kids because one of their participants works there. And so you have a, a group that says, hey, we're going to go do some manual labor in Harrisburg. And then the next week they say, hey, we're going to go have biblical discussions with 80 teenagers in a high school in Grovetown. You see, it's a, a beautiful portrait of what it means to be a community on mission together. And so, friends, as I close, I'll say this. As we look at what it means to be Christ, God's workmanship in Christ, to, what does it mean to be God's poetry played out? We see that grace is the is the gospel lyric that God has written and faith is the rhyme in which he frames it for us to live through trust and belief and then the rhythm is the, is the works that he has foreordained for us to walk in. And so if you're here today and you are not a Christian and you don't know Jesus we want you more than anything to know this good news. That you don't have to work for God's approval. You don't have to work for God's acceptance. That in Christ you are loved and accepted by God no matter what you've done, no matter what last night looked like for you, no matter what this morning looked like for you. 
God loves you and accepts you in Christ and you are his workmanship. For those of you who are in this room who are Christians, we need to repent. That means to turn and believe the gospel. We need to turn from the sin of apathy. We need to turn from the idols of comfort and the idols of, of pride. We need to turn from the complacency, quite frankly, of just not liking poetry. I mean, God is the ultimate lyricist. And often we look at his word as, you know, maybe just an instruction book, which there are instructions in it. But man, the way God writes it is like operatic. And so if you are a Christian, I would encourage you with me, let's together repent of our, our sin, repent of our pride, repent of our lack of joy. I mean, we've got to repent of that when you're like, oh, here's got to go to church today. Here's the Bible. By grace you've been saved through faith. I know it is. Man, I mean, I want to encourage us to dwell on the beauty of the gospel, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And that in Christ, we are God's workmanship. Man, this is, I can't even put it into words. God's a better lyricist than I am. May we as a church uh, repent of our sin and idols. May we turn to Christ and together as a community on mission uh, steward this good news through proclamation and demonstration to one another. Is that good? Is that fair? Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your goodness to us as your people. God, I thank you for the gift of the gospel. God, I thank you that salvation from Satan's sin and death is secured by the person and work of your son, Jesus. God, I thank you for the free gift of the gospel. God, that we may repent and believe and find joy in Christ. God, thank you that you are doing a work in us and through us because we are your workmanship created in Christ. And God, the, the gospel so deep. We could just sit here for days talking about grace. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be the case as we go from this place that you would season our conversations with grace and about grace, Lord, that we would reflect on the grand story of redemption through Scripture and see your goodness at work for generations and generations to people who are wayward and rebellious. And, and God, we see your goodness to them. And, Lord, may we reflect on our own story of grace. God, I pray as we go from this place that our conversations over lunch and in missional communities this week would be times of reflection of how you have extended your grace toward us as wayward people, to me as a wayward, wicked, rebellious sinner. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving my friends in this room who belong to you. God, I pray that we would celebrate the faith that you secure for us, God, the, the belief and the ongoing relational trust in Christ. Lord, I pray that that would be fueled by grace. God, that we would joyfully and humbly respond in belief and repentance over and over again, that this would pattern our lives and our affection and attention toward you, that you would fill us with great joy by your Spirit. In the midst of affliction and adversity and hardship, we would look to you, Jesus, as the author and perfecter of our faith. 
And God, I pray for the good works that you've laid before us, God, in our marriages and our relationships and our families and our neighborhoods and our schools and the workplace. Lord, I pray that you would give us an attentive eye and a sharp mind and observant uh, hearts to see what you've laid before us to do. Not to earn your grace, but God, because of it. Not to earn salvation, but because we have been saved. God, I pray that you would uh, give us... uh, great enthusiasm with the gospel to do things that display and proclaim the goodness of Jesus. So God, I thank you for your grace, for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to close our time together um, through a time of response and worship and taking uh, communion together. So over the next few minutes, um, the band's going to come back out in just a second and continue to lead us in worship by singing. Um, During this time as well, it's a time for us to respond in worship by giving. There's actually a giving table in the back where you can give back to God's work on earth uh, through Redemption Church. Uh, As I said, we'll also take communion during this time. And so in the front, there's a table set with um, bread and wine and juice, um, a place where we can come forward tear off the bread, dip it in the wine or juice, and so remember Christ's body that was broken for us and Christ's blood that was shed for us. Um, We do that to remember what Christ has done, and we do that to proclaim it to one another as a community of faith. So that comes with a couple of quick bits of instruction. Number one, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then the table's not set for you. Um, It's a time for us to proclaim and remember. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can't do that. And Scripture further says that that is something where you would be eating and drinking judgment on yourself. So during this time, we don't want that for you. We want you to know Jesus instead. So if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then, then don't come to this table. Um, If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but there's unrepentant sin in your life, meaning there's sin that you have not dealt with and are unwilling to deal with, then we would encourage you to stay in your seat as well and either begin to deal with that sin, uh, pray about it, whatever it may be, but not to come forward and take communion. But if you're here, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God gives you the freedom to do so, um, whether you're a member of this church or not, to come and take communion, then we would encourage you to do that. Um, you can come down this middle aisle, like I said, dip the, wine, dip the bread in the wine or juice and, and remember Christ's body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. Um, if you're here, you have kids in the nursery this morning. Um, as soon as I pray in just a second, feel free to go and grab them, bring them back in here and allow them to be a part of our um, final time of worship and response together. I'm going to pray for us and we'll move on. God, thank you for this time for us to remember your work on our behalf, and God, to proclaim it joyfully to one another as a community of faith. Not only that we remember that you have done it, but God, that we believe it, we live it. Thank you for your grace, and thank you that we can proclaim that grace. Thank you that we can demonstrate our faith, not only during this time of response, but throughout this week as you call us to whatever good works it might be. God, I pray over the next few minutes that you would continue to work in our hearts and minds, draw us close to you, remind us of your great work on our behalf. Bring us to repentance if that's where you would have us be this morning. God, bring us to faith. Holy Father, we ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.